Ladies, here is Lenore Zan, a.k.a. Rogue. It's Cal Dodd here, voice of Wolverine from X-Men, the animated series, Bub. I want you to join me at The Uncanny Experience, the ultimate destination for X-Men fans just like you. Where you will become a mutant student at Xavier's. And be able to explore the school campus, shop the vendor hall, and meet the creators and stars of the X-Men universe. There'll be panels, parties, immersive activities all throughout the historic mansion. Whether you're a fan of the comics or the movies or the animated series, you'll find something to love. This is Chris Claremont. I'm looking forward to seeing you all at the Uncanny Experience. It's going to be one hell of a ride, Bob. I bet it will be uncanny. Get your tickets now, sugar, at the uncannyexperience.com. Bum bum bottom, 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 you are now in session with the Comic Book Couples Counseling Podcast. I'm Lisa Gullickson. I'm Brad Gullickson. And each month we evaluate a different iconic romance within the four-color realm. In this episode, we would sure like to know what happens to people when they die. But you know, we spent our whole life trying not to find out. In our creator corner, <laughs> talking with cartoonist Tyler Crook about his new Dark Horse comic series, The Lonesome Hunters, The Wolf Child. I love having Tyler Crook back on the podcast. He was here almost exactly a year ago talking about the first Lonesome Hunters trade paperback. And now he's back talking about the sequel, or at least the first issue of the sequel. I gotta say, though, Lisa... The thing I'm most excited about today, in this moment, is that we got our air conditioning unit replaced. It's so cool in here. <laughs> it's like it's like being on vacation, but this is our home and it's comfortable. We spent weeks, <laughs> weeks, boiling alive in our apartment. Like, we, we woke up one morning, it was like, ooh, it's hot, let's turn the AC on, and then it started blowing this hot gas into our apartment it was terrible and we were like well maybe it just needs to like warm up and then it'll get cool so let's go out for a bit and then we'll come back and i'm sure it'll be cool but then we came back to the apartment and, and it, it was, was like, like 90 degrees I, in it here. was it was like 100 degrees in here it was so hot so like okay this is broken but lisa had just done her recital yeah. and in doing the recital, you may remember, Lisa tends to mm, tear this apartment <laughs> apart. You know, I'm making goodie bags. I'm making the program. It was a wreck. The place looked like Oppenheimer had just rolled through, yeah, right? Yeah. And we could not call a tech in at that point because we, we, needed to, we needed to present ourselves. Because if the apartment complex had come in and seen the apartment the way it was at that point, they would have booted us. So we cleaned, <laughs> we, we cleaned, we cleaned, we cleaned. But of course, we didn't clean immediately. We delayed, we delayed, and we just sweated, sweated, We're sweated. We're big time procrastinators. And then eventually we called for assistance, like after two weeks. And, and, and it's gotten really hot in Virginia, really hot. And they came. Uh-huh. They flipped the switch and the AC started working. For no reason. It's, no it reason. was so rude. Just to shame us in front of these people who are handy for a living. And he's like, I thought it was broken. I was like, I, th I thought it was broken. And he's like, well, it looks like it's working. But the problem was he looked at the unit and he saw that it is an ancient unit and probably should get replaced anyway. Right. And they decided they needed to do that. And they're like, okay, on Friday, we're going to come in and we're going to replace the unit. It's going to take about... A day. Yeah. Great. That sounds wonderful. Not. Lisa got out of Dodge. Yeah. <laughs> and I work from home, so I stayed at home. And I had three, you know, lovely mechanics in the apartment all day working on that unit. And they replaced it. And I got to say, the new unit, I feel like we've moved into a new apartment. Yeah, it feels like going from 
Oppenheimer to the Barbie dream house. It's wonderful in here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's actually maybe a little too cool. <laughs> it might be a little too cool. This thing works really, really well. So yeah, the Gullicksons have a new lease on life. And with this new air conditioning unit, our stress about going to San Diego Comic-Con on Tuesday has lifted a little bit. Sure. Since the intro and outro we recorded literally 10 minutes ago, <laughs> things have improved greatly. Okay. You've pulled the curtain back a little <laughs> bit there. Yes. We are recording this immediately after recording our Red Sony. Luke and Shannon Lieberman intro and outro. Uh, and yeah, I think I think we now need to. So we're recording this. Uh, we're recording this Sunday night. We're projecting into the future of That's Thursday. Right. And I think today, which is Thursday, we're feeling a lot better than we did on Sunday. Let's do some manifestation. Yeah. All of our laundry is done. It's all done. My haircut's completed. You you're looking spiffy. I've gotten my browns done, my browns, my brows done. They're on fleek, right? Yes. <laughs> I have a call back to 2017. Um, also, we have written out our schedule. Yes. And in a notebook, perhaps? Yes, and we've recorded three other interviews that are going to drop next week during Comic-Con. And they went swimmingly. They went great. And you guys are loving this content, and you're leaving us a gift of five stars and Apple Podcasts. And also, you subscribe to our new Patreon That's feed. Right. Because you loved the heck out of our Daniel Warren Johnson conversation about the nom number nine, which is a Patreon exclusive for just $1. That's right. The future looks great. Thursday's wonderful. Yeah, I, I can't I can't wait to be me Thursday. Yeah, and you Thursday picked up the new issue of the Lonesome Hunters, The Wolf Child yes, on I have. Wednesday. Th I did, because I want a physical copy because Tyler Crook's comics are gorgeous. They are, and they're also a singular expression. Tyler Crook is a true cartoonist. He's one of the few creators out there doing the whole package. The script is Tyler Crooks. The art is Tyler Crooks. The colors are Tyler Crooks. The lettering are Tyler Crooks. It's incredible. Like This is Tyler Crook on a plate, as they say in Hell's Kitchen. That's right. Allow me to translate for those of you who have not been mainlining episodes <laughs> of Hell's Kitchen and MasterChef. Me on a plate on these shows means the highest form of expression that a chef can make artistically, right? So by consuming their work, you understand the individual better. And that is what Tyler Crook is giving us. Through this piece of fiction, he is opening a window to his heart so that we can understand him better and therefore understand ourselves better. The first trade paperback, which was only four issues, but a hearty four issues, was a great introduction to the world that Tyler Crook is building. And then with The Wolf Child, and Lisa and I have had the privilege to read the entirety of The Wolf Child, although we won't spoil anything beyond the first issue. And we really don't even spoil the first issue in this conversation with Tyler either. But The Wolf Child opens up that universe and shows you that Tyler Crook is going places. There is more to The Wolf. Like, he is, he is building a universe. It, and, and we're going to need more Lonesome Hunters trade paperbacks after the wolf child, after whatever comes after the wolf child. Like this is a saga. He is a writer who asks the big questions. He's he's talking about the mysteries of the universe, which is always what I want to talk about. And like you said, it's a deeply personal story. Mm -hmm. And Tyler Crook was very generous with us the last time we talked to him. Uh, you know, we explored a lot of things about him and his life experience and how it informed the Lonesome Hunters. And we continue to do that with this conversation. And we're just so grateful that Tyler Crook is willing to go there with us. I pre-gamed this interview by listening to our first interview with Tyler Crook. I highly recommend doing the same because we as interviewers were not trying to like retread ground. And also the things he talked about in the last interview were intensely personal. And you know, when it comes to personal things, sometimes you're in the mood to talk about them and sometimes you're not. Um, it turns out he was willing to talk about it and it does come up again, but I just wanna point out the two big highlights is he is an ex-Mormon 
And he did lose his sister suddenly. And I feel like those are two experiences that are woven into the yeah. landscape that is Lonesome Hunters. And we do have links in the show notes to the last episode. Go ahead and click on that and give that a listen for sure. But if you do need a like plot synopsis, I'm going to just go ahead and read the one that's on the Dark Horse Comics website about the Lonesome Hunters, the Wolf Child number one. Monster hunters Howard and Lupe are on their way to get rid of the powerful sword, but car trouble leaves them stranded in a small town that is being terrorized by a magical wolf and a mysterious child in a wolf mask. While waiting for car repairs, Lupe befriends the child, and she and Howard are drawn into a war between the townspeople and the deadly beasts. This series is a supernatural fantasy. It has elements of horror, but at its core is this intergenerational relationship between Howard and Lupe and the way that those two people help heal the traumas that they both experienced. We were deeply compelled by their friendship in the last volume, but now we are, what's the word? Like, by the end of the wolf child, we're committed. We're committed. We're committed and, to this and, story. And what Tyler Crook has done with these two trade paperbacks has created some of my favorite comics in recent memories. I, I, I would hold this up there with the greats of the last decade. Yeah, it's totally brilliant. I think these are the kind of comics. I want to read. These are the kinds of comics I want to recommend to people. Like I've already said, this is the conversation I want to have. Right, right, right. And it is a conversation, right? There, there is stuff going on here that makes it easy for you to look inward on your own life. But it is also so unresolved. Right, where, where, where we are now, where we are now. Yeah, yeah. But it's going someplace where I, I truly believe there's going to be resolution. And I feel like when The Lonesome Hunters is wrapped up whenever that actually will be, it's going to be incredibly satisfying because Tyler Crook is such a confident uh, storyteller and I am deeply confident that he is going to deliver with this book. But again, it's one of those rare things where one creator is working out what's going on inside them and in doing so invites you to commune with it and and work out your own stuff it just makes it, it just gives you the sense that you're reading a thought that is unfiltered yeah 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 which yeah. is like such a privilege so issue one is currently available at your local comic book store you are obliged to go get it do yourself the favor. Maybe even have that thing cracked open in front of you as you listen to this conversation. Ooh, I love that. Yeah. Unless you're driving, that's dangerous. No, no, no. Don't don't read and drive. <laughs> I've done it, and uh, end result's poor. And on that note, let's get into this conversation with Tyler Crook talking The Lonesome Hunters, The Wolf Child Number One. Tyler, welcome back to Comic Book Couples Counseling. Hello. Hello. I am glad to be back. It, the last time we spoke was about a year ago, almost a year ago to the exact yeah. day. And we were coming out of lockdown, basically, or we were getting used to the idea of possibly coming out of lockdown. And we spent a good portion of that conversation talking about loneliness how it relates to the Lonesome Hunters, how it relates to our own lives. And I'm kind of curious, where are you now? Are you feeling like the loneliness of these characters, the way that you were feeling them a year ago in the same way? Um, no, I, I think I'm still feeling it the same way. Like, well, at least as far as these characters are concerned, I'm definitely like... Um, yeah, like they haven't they haven't changed. I mean, the, you know, it's an interesting it's an interesting thing. Like I have sort of struggled with how to like how well just how to address the pandemic in the context of the comic because yeah, it doesn't like really apply directly to the story. But I did set it in like present day America, which is like profoundly impacted by the pandemic. So um, I think the most I've really done to address it so far has had a few people show up in the background in masks. But uh, but yeah, as far as just like loneliness, I think I think the, the idea for these characters sort of stemmed from pre-pandemic. So like that that element of it, while it was informed by pandemic stuff, wasn't really sort of the the jumping off point for them. I know for from my perspective, my reading experience, where I am, where my headspace is, is at a very different place. And so it was interesting for us 
because after we read the comic, we revisited the conversation that we had, and I could sense that I was in a much darker place a year ago <laughs> and a much lonelier place a year ago than I am today. Mm -hmm. And I'm thankful for that, although I still have some of the same concerns that we addressed in the last conversation. And yeah. I think the comic... I think what was interesting about this read is having gone through the Lonesome Hunters, the first storyline, I know who these people are immediately. And so when you open up the wolf child, you have a connection to Howard and Lupe in a way that you couldn't have with the first volume, obviously. Yeah, well, I think that was sort of the goal of the first volume was really to build these two characters and create this relationship between them. And that was like, while there was like the, the storyline with the magpies, like the important plot was about these two characters coming together and, and forming their friendship. I think one of the uh, most important things in this book is just, you know, the need to have somebody with you going through the, this dangerous life <laughs> that we lead, you know what I mean? Now Lupe and Howard have each other. They're showing each other how to connect to other people. Their web of trust is kind of opening up. And mm -hmm. in this first issue, it's represented by like Howard going like, maybe we sh we could get a cell phone that does seem like a useful thing to have. Yeah, well, that was a thing that I actually struggled with. Like I wasn't, I'm not really concerned. Like I'm not one of those people who really cares if cell phones exist in the world. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like, I feel like if a cell phone ruins your plot, then your plot should get you know, it was strongly reconsidered anyway. In the context I was thinking of, it was it's more of a generational thing, mm -hmm. you know, where it's like Howard just never really even considered having a cell phone like this. That was like not anything that he ever needed. But Lupe, being a person of the 21st century, like used to having them and just didn't. So like it makes it makes it made sense for them to have like for Lupe to want one and Howard to not know. But then Howard also had to make like yeah open up to lupe and be like you know what yeah you're right like i am being a goober by not wanting a cell phone it's like what like two pages in the in the book but it was like me walking around the block like five times being like how what is this what do they do with a cell phone like what <laughs> what's the point of this one of the things that i appreciate so much about howard is that howard is not a grumpy old man you know i, I find myself looking back I'm going like, oh, you know, like I really miss this. I miss, I miss X. I miss Y. I don't like how the kids today. And <laughs> and Howard is receptive, and I think Howard's receptiveness is one of the reasons why you fall in love with him. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, that's something that's like. Well, one of the things about Howard, like as a character, that I think is that he is like he's receptive to Lupe. He's receptive to people who he feels are safe to be around and for him to be receptive to. I think with other people, he's a lot more, um, you know, with, with Pell, like he withholds himself and protects himself from other people. But he's, he, because he and Lupe, like, have this connection, he's able to sort of, you know, open up and, and be more his true self. Yeah, that's an excellent point. Because if you go back to the first issue of The Lonesome Hunters and you see Howard looking around his neighborhood and going to the convenience store and he he doesn't mm -hmm. necessarily, he's not necessarily <clears throat> receptive then. It's <laughs> yeah, Lupe yeah. who unlocks something in him. There's mm -hmm. something inherently childlike about Howard. And I think that mm -hmm. perhaps it might relate to like some trauma in his childhood but he, like the interaction between Howard and Loopy are very much like peers. We find out there's a lot of people who hate Howard. His family <laughs> hates Howard. The church mm -hmm. hates Howard. Tina has something against Howard. Like a mm -hmm. lot of people hate Howard. Yeah, well, I mean, Howard, like the childlike thing about Howard is, um, and we talked about this a little bit last time, how um, my my feeling is that you become an adult in the day you realize that like you'll never feel like an adult and like howard is really because of his like early trauma he's really sort of like locked into like huge parts of his life are locked down from when he was a kid and um so he's still sort of experiencing the world from that moment of trauma in a lot of ways and so i try really hard to make that um, come across in him and like the you know there's things like there's conversations that he and Lupe have in this first issue where he sort of opens up to ideas about um, 
you know, his childhood that he had never considered before. And it's just because he's never, he's been so protective of himself and so locked off from so much of the world that he's just never been exposed to uh, different ways of thinking about his past, you know? That's one of the exciting things about the last issue of The Lonesome Hunters, the first volume, is that they encountered the queen, they take care of the queen uh, and the book actually climaxes with Lupe and Howard having a genuine conversation about all the emotional agony that they're going through. Like Lupe Mm -hmm. unloads on Howard, Howard receives it. And in receiving it, he then is able to unload all the stuff that's been bubbling up in him for the last God knows how many decades. Yeah. Well, yeah. I like, I imagine that Howard hasn't had like a whole lot of sort of like open emotional conversations with anybody, you know? And when somebody does that on, to him, he's like, oh, wait, wh- we're allowed to do this a little bit? Like, <laughs> we're allowed to actually talk about these things? And I think, um, and I think that's part of why he's like, I mean, because like Howard, the adventure that Howard is going to go on with the sword, he should rationally not bring Lupe with him. Mm-hmm. Like, that's like a bad decision. But I don't think he, I think he finds so much value personally in her presence that he, he can't quite bring himself to to not bring her along, you know? The end of the first issue, or the first volume, he talks about, you know, he's like, you have to drive because I don't know how to drive. And he could take a bus. He could, you know, get a taxi or whatever. He could find some way to do this without her. But but yeah, he, he, sort, of, he sort of needs her, I think, to be able to navigate this world. The way you end The Lonesome Hunters Volume 1 allows you to then, in the first issue, as Lisa pointed out, bring in all these other voices, all these other characters who have skin in the game and are not necessarily excited to uh, to partner up with Howard. They want to take Howard out. Mm-hmm. In the first volume, Like by introducing all these antagonistic forces, some that are related directly to the mythology that you're building off of from volume one, other forces from the outside, more, uh, more everyday encounters uh, with evil. Mm-hmm. Well, the first volume was, like I said before, the first volume was definitely about building the relationship between Howard and Lupe and showing like why these two people are together. And then um, the second volume is all about sort of establishing uh, sort of the stakes of what they're facing, explaining uh, a lot more about what the sword is and showing what the sword is capable of and why it is important for Howard and Lupe to be heading out on this, this quest, you know, with the sword. Point of this first issue, Howard and Lupe are kind of adrift. They don't know exactly where they're going with the sword. But now there is the element of the Crusaders that are introduced in mm-hmm. this issue. They have their own perception of what Howard is and his relationship to the sword. And then they also want the sword. At this point, Howard and Lupe are less being like pulled into a direction, but more like, oh, it looks like they're going to be pushed by outside forces. Yeah, that's, that's, that's accurate. <laughs> so so what was the the um inspiration for these crusaders they were inspired by a lot of stuff I and mean, they're inspired by a lot of sort of the religious fervor that we're seeing in america today um there's sort of a lot of it is inspired directly by i was i was raised mormon and we left the church when i was sort of an early teen and um there's a lot of stuff uh that is inspired by that um in their sort of uh approach to theology and um and you know it's a caricature so like it's not you know i'm not directly criticizing any one specific religion but i'm sort of like i want to i wanted to show them being normal people in a religion like devoutly committed to a religion and the ways that that can be used to sort of uh, make people do really weird things you know like these guys um these crusaders they're not they're not like um trained assassins or anything like that they're like people with like jobs and wives at home and the church is just like you know what you're called to go on this um on this mission for the church and it's an important thing and uh it's like being called to be a missionary or something you know 
so they're sort of going off to do this thing, but um, where it's going to lead them is is pretty extreme, you know. <laughs> I like I love the the Crusaders being a guy named Josh. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. Josh mm-hmm. is on a crusade. But like <laughs> um, in in our first conversation about the first issue, we talked a lot about like relationship to faith, and so it makes me think about like the sword and how faith can be used to hurt people and faith can be used to like heal and the crusaders their their faith is based on one truth and then like a million lies you know what Mm -hmm. i mean like there is a magic sword that's extraordinary right that's really really wild if there's such thing as a magic sword anything is freaking possible right but then also they don't understand where the sword has come from and they they have but because of the existence of the sword they have bought into something that is not true well and they've been told this story about the great betrayer howard which doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily, which does not reflect the flashback that we saw in the first issue of the Lonesome Hunters. So they've got yeah. that burrowing in their head. Yeah, and you can definitely see, like, I hope the thread is clear between that very first flashback and you see the way Howard's father treats him. And then you mm-hmm. could really clearly imagine how the people back home would have told the story about what had happened, um, you know, because they presume that Howard sur- survived because he had the magic sword or whatever, but everyone else died. And they're like, uh, he must have betrayed them. Like, that's the only way this could have happened. Yeah, exactly. And then, uh, you know, the wolf child then explores the crusaders from different points of view. Also, I think what's so um, human about the portrayal of the church as it's seen in the wolf child is that everyone within the church or like at least within these this small group of crusaders they all are thinking on their own tier right Mm -hmm. yeah i think well one of the things that i think is really fun about um stories like this is that everyone i mean as the reader you get to see all this stuff but you also get to see how everyone else can look at the exact same thing you know it's like that elephant thing where it's like three blind men and an elephant where one person touches the legs and it's like oh an elephant is shaped like a tree trunk yeah Uh, you know that sort of thing and you can see how they're all sort of approaching this issue and none of them have like the full picture like nobody knows the whole the whole thing and so they make they make choices that are um often bad you know and they do things that are wrong and they don't but they don't know it because they just don't know the whole picture. But even amongst the Crusaders, there's there is the one guy who's like, I don't know about this, fellas. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. like yeah. you know, there there might be a greater truth that like makes doing violence not good. You know, yeah. but, uh, what inspired the inclusion of that guy? Um, that guy is kind of like uh, he's well, he's kind of reminds me of my dad a little bit. Like he's the guy. Like like I said, when we left, we left the church. Like a lot of that was. Um, from being like incredibly being a strong believer and like really studying the faith and then being like, you know, I have this question, like I really love and believe this thing, but there's this one part that doesn't make sense and help me make it make sense. And other people going like, don't talk about it. That didn't happen, you know? And he has to like, be like, Oh, huh. But you know, it's like, you can't, when you like, like He's coming from a place like that character. Um, Josh is his name, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I have to look at my cheap sheet when I'm writing <laughs> to remember their names. Um, but they uh, like he's like in my mind, he's a guy who very honestly believes in his faith and believes that it's a, a healing thing for him. And he comes to it from a place of like love and kindness. And he's trying really hard to square these things that don't, that like when you think about him for a little while, don't make a whole lot of sense. And, um, you know, his his friends shut him down pretty quick. And they're like, you know, like, no, we're going to toe the line on this one. Yeah. Um, when your family left, left the church, did mm-hmm. they go like, hey, really sorry, our kids, like that I brought you up in this and it's completely wrong? Or did they let you like come to your own conclusions after leaving the church? Um... They, well, they really like, yeah, they kind of let us come to our com- own conclusions. I think they were, at, I think they were at a point that where they were like, um, you know, they sat us down and were like, you know, we're going to stop going to church. And, um, I, you know, I was young enough that it wasn't like, like I didn't have my driver's license or anything. So it wasn't like I was going to make my way to church on my own. So I was like, it was sort of, 
um yeah it was I, like i remember at the time actually that i just felt relieved because like um even though i didn't know exactly what my parents were going through in their relationship with the church i definitely knew that going to church was incredibly stressful for the family you know mm-hmm. so um so when when they sort of sat us down and were like we're gonna stop going to church i was like oh thank god we can like relax on the weekends for once. <laughs> like we can actually have a sunday that's pleasant you know <laughs> And so like, like that's sort of, uh, that's sort of where I was when I first left. And then um, I remember that I, like, I, I know I have like a sort of a complex relationship with, with a lot of faith stuff, like, cause I'm one of those people who would, like, I would love to, um, you know, believe in a God, you know, and I would love to have sort of a faith of in heaven and stuff like that. But, um, but I find myself incapable of it, you know? try though I might, it just doesn't ring true for me. So I can't, I can't do it. And it's, um, and so like, I, I spent most of my like teen years basically sort of very passively believing in a lot of that stuff. And then um, I had a couple experiences in a row where people um, sort of randomly came up to me and I don't know what it's called. What's it called where you like, just walk up to somebody and try to convince them to become evangelizing. Evangelizing. To evangelize yeah. You. yeah. Just so happened to be this I, weekend. I had a couple yeah. I had a couple meetings with evangelists that were like, like I had one lady who just, I was sitting in the car waiting for my mom to come out of the grocery store. And this lady came up to me and was like, um, started talking to me about Jesus. And then she was like, you know, Jesus really had short hair. And, <laughs> and the long hair thing is a plot by the Jews to like corrupt the religion. And I was sort of like, wow, I, hmm, really, really, what, who, what is this? is this what Christianity is? And it, you know, it made me sort of go back and actually, actually after meeting, seeing, after talking to that lady, I actually read the Bible all the way through for the very first time um, from front to back. And it was, um, and you know, and that relieved me of a lot of my faith issues at the time, you know? Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of like deferring to someone's expertise. Like I was, I was raised Mm -hmm. Catholic. So like, we're, we're encouraged to just like, donate, don't even pick up that thing. If you pick up that that thing, like that's really nerdy. You can just listen to the homily real close and you'll get, we got this for you, (laughs) you know? Um, But like, it's interesting to, to read this book, watching Howard watch Lupe create her relationship with the sword. Yeah. Because Howard is like, oh no, I've touched that thing. Uh, you know, it's really tempting, but never touch the sword. Like the sword is bad, never touch the sword. And Lupe is like, oh, but it does magic. It reminds me so much of like my relationship to religion. Cause I go like, there, there were years where I was like, you know what? I've touched that sword. I've touched that sword. And it made me feel awful. And I, and I'm going to judge anybody else who touches the sword. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. you know, just don't touch that sword. I feel like, uh, that's not the whole story for Lupe. Yeah. Well, for Lupe, like a lot of this is, you know, finding out about the sword and talking to birds, you know, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Like her world is opening up and Leo she's leaving the city they're going on this road trip you know she just got her her first cell phone you know Mm -hmm. like her world is like busted wide open she's so excited about that phone yeah 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 and but she doesn't know where the where the limits are you know it's sort of like like you said it's like this this sword if this magic sword exists what else could exist Right. You know, you know, it turns out it's a lot of horrible, horrible things that also exist. <laughs> right. Like um, in this first issue, there's this huge moment of trust where Lupe tells the magpie, OK, I'm going to give you a piece of treasure. And if I give you this piece <laughs> of treasure, my expectation is that you don't rat us out. I don't know about that. Let's see if this doesn't bite us in the ass at some point. Yeah. That bird the, is the magpie. <laughs> that magpie is really fun, actually, just because um, I love having a character that is that you can talk to and can express themselves and stuff, but is also you know an animal. They're mm-hmm. like they have animal motivations and they do animal things, and so their behavior is not um, like because you can talk to them. You you would think like oh they're going to sort of behave like a a human because they act like a human, but well like in that scene you know they they're she's like you want to be you'll be my friend. He's like okay. And then boop, the bird's gone. And they're like, huh, I thought kind of thought the bird would hang around a little bit. You introduce this wolf character, and that wolf is seemingly outside of the mythology that we've just been discussing regarding the sword. It feels like this is another opportunity to really expand 
the type of magical elements that are possible in the Lonesome Hunters. Yeah, well, I think the um, the the wolf child is like um, like there's definitely a kind of magic in this world where wearing masks is like gives you some sort of power. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know, you know, I don't know at this point if there's a really strong metaphor in the story for what that like really means. It's just something that I think is super cool. And I've always been into that idea. And so like there, um, so this wolf child is, I guess one of the things that it opens up is that use of magic with these masks isn't just really constrained to only animals. Like also humans can wear these masks. So like the magpies in the first volume, uh, the magpie queen wears a mask and it gives her the ability to be sort of human in shape and stuff. And the, and in this one, the this wolf child wears a mask and it allows them to do a lot of wolfy things, you know. Well, do they? I guess the wolf child doesn't do a lot of wolfy things. He does do a lot of child things. things. <clears throat> like like yeah. the wolf child in this first issue feels so helpless. Yeah, but we, I mean, we'll see a, a, the connection between the sort of large wolf that we introduce on the very first page and um, and what this chi- and this child and they they definitely are connected and they have a they have a relationship that um, that is you know that it was actually inspired by. Um, like one of the early titles that I was sort of playing with was for the Lonesome Hunters was trying to come up with some uh, title around being raised by wolves and that whole idea. And so like with this, I was sort of, oh, what if you were like literally raised by a wolf, you know? And that's wh- that's sort of where this kid character came from. And the book opens up like first page, uh, you know, the wolf is eating uh, a far part of a farmer's herd and in mm-hmm. doing so introduce like drags these uh, I'm going to call them civilians into this grand opera and they become an antagonistic force as well. W- why bring them into it? Um, They are, it's hard to say without giving away too much about it. They're sort of like, um, Sort of as the as the world opens up in this story, and as the the stakes increase, um, it's going to pull in normies. You know, it's like it's not a thing that um, like there's like Howard was actually like very smart to keep the sword hidden for so long because as it get, comes out and as it becomes used, it's like more and more forces want to get their hands on it, and it's gonna yeah, it's gonna draw in civilians and it's gonna draw in normies and they're and there's gonna be consequences for that and that's sort of where where those guys are coming in i have a lot of empathy for the normies for these farmers because it is their livelihood we come mm-hmm. from farm families <laughs> yeah and they're looking after their own self-interest the self-interest of their family they have no reason to believe that the wolf is magic but even if the wolf is magic it doesn't really matter if they can't do their thing if they can't feed their families because of this thing that is interfering with their lives. Yeah. In fact, I don't even like really think of them as antagonists, but I do feel like their relationship with sort of this larger story is, um, I don't know. I don't know if it's antagonistic. What's it's in conflict for sure. And like what, what they want and need doesn't, doesn't like, it's going to conflict with, with what um, this wolf wants and needs. And, you know, it's like, um, again, it's one of those things where it's, they they're the blind people touching an elephant and they're Mm -hmm. like we really think we know what this thing is but it's not what they think it is you know yeah but they know whatever it is it's shitting on them (laughs) yeah they can't afford to lose all these friggin' cows man (laughs) like another element that's overlaid with the opening of the wolf is lupe's narration about like like wondering like what happens when you die and like mm-hmm. we know that Lupe has a very close relationship to death because she lost her mom and she lost her dad. And the wolf child's opening, you know, narration, Lupe's internal monologue is like a direct continuation of the conversation that was happening at the end of The Lonesome Hunters, volume one. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that question of what happens when you die 
also opens up that question of like, what is our greater connection to the universe? If the universe can just zap us out of existence, mm-hmm. we, we live our lives and we are, we are our whole world. And then we die and our whole world is gone, you know, just a thought. Yeah. And that's, that's definitely one of, one of the biggest themes in, in this. I mean, one of um, like, cause the sort of the, the source of Lupe's loneliness is that, the people around her that loved her and protected her died and um there's just like well i don't want to because so mm-hmm. she comes to a little bit she expresses some conclusions by the end of the this this story arc but um but we yeah and it's just yet. so yeah i don't want to get that i want the reader to be able to <laughs> do yeah. that but i think that um yeah it's a struggle and and she's struggling with it and i i don't know if, if it's one of those struggles that anyone will ever that you ever come to the end of you know when we last spoke we talked about you know we, we we expressed our desire for the lonesome hunters saga and now that we are getting volume two it really does feel like there is a saga here um I, you know and and it, it also like to me like i love all your work tyler but this feels like the tyler crook comic uh as, <laughs> as a fan of your work and you can either uh, agree with that or not, but this, like, do you feel like this is something that you'll be exploring for a good many years to come? Um, I'm really hoping so. Um, I do have, I do have like a overarching story arc. Like I have a, a, you know, the beginning, middle and end of, of a sort of a really large story. Um, And I'm hoping I can, I can get to the end of it, (laughs) you know, Uh, we'll just have to see. But um, I do feel like this is like, this is definitely the most personal story I've ever told. You know, I, like I said, I think, I think I said it in the last time we talked that like I'm taking so much of the stuff that really sort of preoccupies me and uh, jamming it all into this one story. It's like everything that stresses me the hell out is like in this book, you know what I mean? And so um, it's definitely um, a very personal story. It's not like, um, yeah, like I, I think a lot of, um, like I look at a lot of other comics and I sort of see them and you can see like what what the writer, like what really sucked them into it. And a lot of times they're just like, that they had a really fun idea. And it's like, and like, I had the opposite, you know, I have like this all these terrible ideas. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I'm going to explore all of those. Someone on Twitter um, a couple of months ago asked like, what's one image that uh, reflects the story and I post uh, the story that you're working on and I posted uh, a meme of Trent Reznor from Nine Inch Nails and it's like four panels where he's like comes out on stage and he's like everyone here to have a good time you're ready to rock <laughs> well that's not us that was the last band we're here to have a bad time and then heavy synthesizer plays and it's like that's that's a lot of what we're doing with the the Lonesome Hunters is we're here to have a bad time. Let's get in, let's dig into this bad time. The, the bad time is like my favorite type of story. <laughs> like yeah, uh, yeah. We also talked about uh, a little about um, how you enjoy to go simple, but deep as opposed to like complex. Mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. feel like there is a lot of complexity here, especially as this, the world is opening. I do like that. Okay. Let's just burrow down on the idea of death and how we all like relate to mortality and how how we all relate to like do i continue or not i need to know because mm-hmm. i'm scared you know um but you you do get to do also the version of like the thing that you love to do which is like am- anthropomorphizing animals and mm-hmm. um and this idea of how you love to go like okay let's see how much i can have this individual who doesn't speak, have this animal, how much can I make one animal say without using words? Like, can you talk a little bit more about your like connection to animals and, and your your love of animals? Yeah, I just love animals. Like I'm not like, uh, I'm not like one of those people who is like, oh, I wanted to be a veterinarian when I grew up or anything like that. But, you know, I've just always, we've always had pets. I think when I got, well, we always had, we always had cats growing up. And then um, as an adult, I I started having dogs and that sort of like really changed my relationship to animals is like, cause just dogs are, um, you know, the relationship you have with a dog is way more, um, it's just way different than what you have with a cat. And they're a lot more, um, they're a lot more needy and, uh, but also a lot more like, um, 
they're just like down to go do stuff with you, <laughs> you know, which is like really sort of like made me start looking at and like um, thinking about animals in a different way. So um, I just, I just love them. You know, and I love drawing animals in the same way I love drawing um, trees and forests and stuff. Um, I think uh, they're just beautiful and they're just really fun to sort of um, explore artistically and stuff. Are you like a, like when you think in your brain, like this is a weird, it, see, it feels random. It's coming from a place. Like when you think in your brain, <laughs> are you like a words first guy or like a pictures first guy? Like um, I'm a big time words guy. I am like, I definitely think in language a lot, but when I'm thinking about a story, very often I have uh, an image of an event happening and then I have to figure out how to get there. You know what I mean? So I'm yeah. definitely like, a, I guess it's a visual thing, but it's usually more like when I'm thinking about story stuff, I'm thinking about um, how to get someplace. Like I just have an idea of something that happens and I'm sort of having to figure out like, well, what what would make that happen? And then I have to figure out the steps to get there. Oh, yeah. I, I was thinking about... Um, I was thinking about how my approach to story, because I've been like doing a lot of reading just about, you know, writing and stuff lately. And, and there's so much stuff out there about like, you know, the three act structure and all that stuff that um, is, is definitely useful, but I don't find it like super compelling. And then I was thinking like, I think the way I think about story is a lot more like music where I'm usually thinking about how things sort of work together, you know, as melodies and harmonies. And I'm thinking a lot about sort of like rising tension and like sort of tempos and things like that. And I'm thinking about, um, you know, tone. And so like when I'm thinking about these stories, that's sort of where I'm thinking, where I'm coming from, where I'm trying to find like, I'm always just trying to create like a real specific mood with a thing. And that's like really, really important to me is getting that the feeling first and then the specifics of what creates that feeling second, you know? I'm so am glad I, does you- Does that make any sense? No, it makes total sense. No, no, and <laughs> you set up my next question. Yeah. Uh, because last time we didn't really get to talk about this, but you are a musically expressive creative as well. And one of the things that you do is you create music for your comics. You can go on to, is it Bandcamp? Yeah. You can go on to Bandcamp right now, link in the show notes, and listen to the music you've created around Harrow County. And listening to that music while reading The Lonesome Hunter's Wolf Child, it creates this whole other experience. But it, but, but now I'm like, well, this works for the, the Wolf Child, but I also now need Lonesome Hunter's music. Man, I have been trying. I have been trying. Like, I don't know. Like, when I did um, the Harrow County soundtrack, um, which you can also stream on like Spotify and Apple Music and all that jazz. But like um, I was, it was sort of like, that was sort of like in a fit where I was just sort of like, I know what this should sound like, you know? And I could just jump into it and start start writing music for it. And um, the Lonesome Hunters, I've really struggled. Like I was like early on, I was like, I'm going to do another soundtrack just like I did with Harold County. And um I have not been able to figure out what the Lonesome Hunter sounds like. And that's um, I, that's because I'm not like a trained musician. Like it's very much a hobby thing for me, but it's something I definitely, um, I love and really um, I do a lot of, even if it's just, just for fun. Um, so yeah, I've been trying for, I've been trying with Lonesome Hunters, but I just have not figured out what it sounds like yet. That was my, like, I was trying to lead. I was dragging bad interviewer style leading you to, <laughs> like, because I, I feel like the second you try to put the mystery of the universe into words, you know, like you mm -hmm. hit that, like, kind of frustration of like, well, there isn't words for this. I think like back to like animals and animals, they live their entire lives without language and they seem to be fine you know yeah and and then yeah. like music also is like okay that's another another way to like kind of describe the ineffable but also it has its own limitations do, do you find yourself frustrated around how do I tell the whole story of a thing with all of the limitations yeah I definitely like one of the things that I've decided with the Lonesome Hunters is that I can't like to everything at once like I definitely have to sort of like take a moment and focus on on one idea at a time but yeah like there's a lot of um 
trying to think of how to answer that question because it's kind of a big one. Like, like animals are amazing in the way that they they just roll with the punches, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, humans have this thing where, like, we we don't. <laughs> we get ideas in our head and we want things to be a certain way. And then when they aren't that way, it breaks our brains. And it's really hard to deal with that. And it's like, that's, I guess that's one of the things that I, I'm trying to get in the Lonesome Hunters is like the way these animals approach the world is different from the way humans approach the world. And, um, but all these, like the way we approach like questions of the universe, like there's, I don't know if this directs, if this applies direct, like, one-to-one but like there's a great quote from jack kirby that i think about all the time and Mm. i'm paraphrasing but he said something about when he if he meets god he's gonna tell him that like the questions were great (laughs) god i wish i could find the i like i should look up the whole quote but stuff down here was weird but the questions were great Mm. and it's like i always like i that's the thing i want to sort of manifest in my own approach to these things because so often the questions make me like want to curl up in my bed and just like weep but I have to remember like you know like the questions are pretty good and you know again that's like one of the ways I try to approach the stories too is like not not as having something specifically to say with a story but having like questions to ask Mm -hmm. and and having to you know not necessarily answer them for the reader but sort of ask the questions in a way that sort of uh, make you you know think about think about (laughs) <laughs> your mortality or whatever you know yeah i mean well i mean the lonesome hunters are uh, volumes one and the wolf child are not are not tidy you know they're not tidy mm-hmm. stories and that's i think the appeal for lisa and i and we've spent you know god knows how many minutes talking to you right now like trying to figure out like okay who is tyler crook and like we've been burrowing <laughs> in there trying to pull things out but honestly like who is tyler crook for me is the lonesome hunters just read these comics you know like all the questions that we've been trying to explore in this conversation are all right there being explored in both volumes of the lonesome hunters that is amazingly kind of you to say that's um you know i really want like well i don't necessarily want lonesome hunters to be like oh this is about you know who i am but i feel like if you um if you looked at like some of the issues that were that i'm looking at in the lonesome hunters and you think oh that's like that's Sounds like a Tyler thing. Then, like, I don't know. That's nice. So many stories, like they feel like. Uh, I don't know. Is this going to come out sounding like a compliment? Like, a, a like a lot of stories come from this place of like authority, where they go like, mm-hmm. "There is a mystery here, and I know exactly what it is, and I'm withholding." And like, mm-hmm. and and reading Lonesome Hunters, like I know that plot points you are you are withholding because you are telling a story, but like in terms of like the answers to the mystery as of the universe, you're coming from a place of like not knowing, and it is beautiful. Well, thank you. Yeah, no, I, I definitely feel like, especially with the mysteries of the universe, the people who come from a place of knowing are almost always liars. They're using the Woo! sword you know? wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're just making up stuff, you know, and saying it with authority. So Lonesome Hunters Volume 1 is now out in trade paperback. Everyone can go pick it up immediately and start mm-hmm, reading. Mm-hmm. As they should. The Wolf Child first issue comes out July 12th. Uh, this is definitely the stuff of comic book couples counseling. Uh, it's what we love. The, the characters, the relationships, the questions, if not the answers that we look for are all right there in the Lonesome Hunters, the Wolf Child issue one. Uh, Tyler, thank you so much for coming back on to discuss Lupe and Howard. I would love for you to come back on if we get any more Tyler Crook comics too. Yay. You know, it's profoundly good to be here. And I, you know, yeah. I, I listen to your podcast on the regular. I really enjoy it. And um, yeah, it's always fun to be here. Thank you, Tyler. Our expectation is always that no one listens. Yeah. That was very flattering. I made a very surprised yeah. face. <laughs> I am shocked. <laughs> you know, it's all, I think, I honestly think it's almost always better to make stuff with the assumption that no one's going to be there because then um when people are there we're doing great that then yeah it feels really good that way (laughs) uh tyler or folks that want to continue this conversation with you besides picking up your comics uh is there a place online that you like to hang out now i know you've pulled back from twitter and we can really um yeah basically stopped using twitter i'm on instagram as i gotta look it up uh mr tyler crook 
spelled out m-i-s-t-e-r tyler crook and then um yeah i'm on mastodon and oh you know what i do i've been doing a youtube live stream every friday at 7 p.m eastern or 7 p.m pacific rather so if uh, anyone wants to hang out with me i'm doing drawings and talking about art and art materials and stuff and it's really uh it's really fun well tyler thanks again for hanging out my pleasure thanks again guys yay And there you have it. Once again, thank you to Tyler Crook and the Lonesome Hunters, the Wolf Child number one, as you should know, because it's in front of you as you're listening to this episode, is out now from Dark Horse Comics. Pick it up if you haven't, but you already have because you're using it to listen to this conversation as we previously discussed. What a great afternoon you've had. We've all had together on Thursday, which is today and not the past or the future. Well, it might be the past. Ah, yes, the big questions. What is time? (laughs) But those big questions are what Tyler Crook is exploring with the Lonesome Hunters. I love that bit where he was talking about the struggles of his characters. He puts his characters through their struggles because we all go through their struggles. And he likes that, 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 that they just keep going. Like we all just keep going. Brad and I have now seen Asteroid City twice. <laughs> yeah, we have. And I have been thinking a lot about that movie and about how like when we are living our lives, we are the characters in the play. Right. But like our consciousness is constantly outside of the play trying to figure out what, what the, the play, play is means. About. Yeah. And the whole point of living life is to just wonder and wonder what life means and you're not going to you you can't wake up if you don't fall asleep, right? You're not going to understand the meaning of life until you've lived it in its entirety and you've died and maybe there's more after that and and maybe there's not, or probably there's not, but there's a lot of room in probably. I like the feeling of trying to unscrew the jar of the meaning of life. Uh-huh. And I can't imagine when the lid of that jar pops off and you get that satisfying snapping sound. Is what's in that jar, could it possibly be as fun or interesting as wondering if you can get the jar open in the first place? You just reminded me of Star Trek Generations. Oh, wow. The first outing of the Next Generation cast cinematically where Captain Kirk got involved in the shenanigans. And when Captain Kirk, spoilers for Generations, everybody, (laughs) but when Captain Kirk dies, his last words are, oh my, and... The reason Shatner wanted Kirk's words to be oh my is because he thought it was Shat it was sorry. Shatner thought that it was Kirk seeing that jar being popped up. Like yeah, he, the, the other answers. Side. He saw the other side, he saw the answers, and it was oh my. And, you know, that movie has its issues. I'm actually on team Star Trek Generations. I I think it's a lot better than its reputation. I think there are some really great moments in it. And that's one of those really great moments, even if the way that Shatner's Kirk goes out is maybe not the most satisfying. But the oh my is super satisfying. And Shatner's reasoning behind it is too. I'm so grateful to Tyler Crook for the metaphor of the sword. And the sword being like spirituality. Yeah, 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 yeah. Don't don't go too far down the metaphor of the sword because, again, only issue one is out. There's a lot going on with that sword. So you're going to want to make sure that you're subscribed at your comic book store to The Lonesome Hunters, The Wolf Child, because uh, revelations are ahead. Do, Do you know what I want for myself? I want to see a Tyler Crook page from Lonesome Hunters in person. Yeah, I mean, you can see them on his Instagram feed, uh, like his socials. That's not the same, Brad. It's not the same thing. I agree, I agree. Uh, One of these days, we're going to find Tyler Crook at a Comic-Con, meet him in person, and it will be a glorious day, and we're going to just save all our petties and and buy something Tyler Crook-related. That would be amazing. Uh, But yeah, I mean, they are... I mean, they're objects. They're totems. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, that is going to do it for this week's episode. But this week, by this week's episode, you mean <laughs> the 10 episodes we have scheduled for the next couple of days? So you've already listened to our Red Sonia conversation with Shannon Luke Lieberman. Yeah. You just listened to the Tyler Crook conversation. Monday on the Patreon feed is Daniel Warren Johnson talking about the nom number nine. We talked about the nom number nine for over an hour. 
hour. It is one of my favorite conversations that we've had about a single issue comic book. It is nitty, it is gritty. Very, very nitty gritty. And Daniel Warren Johnson brings so much to that conversation, stuff that we just are not capable of bringing to that conversation. So it really changes up the dynamic of the types of chats that you get at Comic Book Couples Counseling. And then on Tuesday, we will have our final Mark and Eve Invincible Counseling Session. Lisa has read all of Invincible I literally now. have, like, in the present moment, that is Sunday before the Thursday we're talking about. <laughs> and Lisa is changed. I am. I'm a different person now. And then on Wednesday, we will have a Creator Corner conversation to kick off Comic-Con, which starts on Wednesday with Preview Night. And then every day of Comic-Con, we're going to have a Creator Conversation. Some of them have already been recorded. Some of them have not been recorded. But we are confident that they will be recorded. So over the course of Comic-Con, you are going to get five episodes. Five episodes, plus the Invincible episode, plus the Daniel Warren Johnson episode. That's seven episodes in one week. We are bringing Comic-Con to you. Mm. I'm overwhelmed. Lisa is overwhelmed. We had a long day, a long discussion about how overwhelmed we are both <laughs> feeling, but we can get it all done. We can get it all done. We I can get haircuts. We can, we can do our laundry. We can pack. Uh, and we're going to do it all in this beautifully crisp, clean, and air-conditioned apartment, Lisa. Yeah. And we're going to go see Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 at some point, too. Yeah. At Uvarhazi. Yeah, the Air and Space Museum. The best IMAX in the country, in my opinion, because I've gone to all of them. No, I haven't. And yeah, okay. That's it, Lisa. Until next time. No, no. We what? got socials and all oh, that yeah, stuff. Oh, yeah, let's do that. We got to do the five love languages. Where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you? You can find me on several uh, social media feeds. Not all of them now, because there are many. At Mouth Dork. If you have words of affirmation for our logo, you can send them to Aaron Prescott at A Cool Hand Fluke. And if you have some words of affirmation for our radical banner art and show poster, send them to Karen Charm at Karen underscore X-Men fan. Lisa, where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you? I am always accepting words of affirmation at Sidewalk Siren on Instagram, Twitter, and Blue Sky. Oh. If you'd like to spend more quality time with us, you can subscribe to us on Podbean, Stitcher, YouTube, Google, and Apple Podcasts. Oh, wait. Stitcher's not going to be a thing in a second. It's still around for now until like August 29th, I think. If you'd like to get exclusive, you can join our Patreon, where you'll get more content, including weekly bonus episodes, those Married to Singles episodes. We are still sleepwalking through Sandman. Um, Brad might eat that Blue Beetle burger, though I do do not approve. Definitely going to do it. I'll let you do it because it does come out on August 18th, with which is your birthday. It's going to be my birthday meal. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> if you'd like to reach out and touch us electronically, you can email the podcast, cbccpodcast at gmail.com. You can visit our website, comicbookcouplescounseling.com, or follow us on Instagram and Twitter at, at cbccpodcast. You still stole that from I me. I did, because I thought it was funny last uh, time. You could give us the gift of five stars on Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to do an act of service, why not write a review of the show while you're there? We are fluent and receptive in all all five love languages, it really warms our hearts and helps the pod. So until next time, friends, keep your love tank full. And your psychic rapport open. Doopy doopy. Okay, you thought the show was over, but I we did. still have plugs, Lisa. <laughs> Are you kidding me? You were just on Spectales. Oh, yeah, that's true. It was a secret invasion episode. You were Jesus. I was Jesus. You were talking about the DC Book of Lists. I did. Very, very cool. Very, very fun conversation. Both of us are on this week's, actually last week's episode of Comic Book Keepers talking about Beta Ray Bill doing more Daniel Warren Johnson celebration of his ardent star storyline. And we recorded a conversation with Dan Gavazdan and Mark Giannacchio over at the amazing Spider Talk podcast about Mary Jane and Peter Parker, their dating life. You can listen to that episode on the amazing Spider Talk Patreon feed right now. Now, which I would recommend both Lisa and I are patrons. We are. There's no reason why we have to do <laughs> double spending for Dan and Mark, but we just love it so much. So that's what we've done. But if you don't feel like joining their Patreon because you're, you're, you're being re- really respectful to your bank account and you're choosing to put that dollar into Comic Book Couples Counseling Patreon account, I won't hold that against you. You can listen to our Peter Parker and Mary Jane conversation on a future main feed episode of The Amazing Spider Talk with Nick Cagnetti Art, 
who was just on a creator cranny in our Patreon feed talking about his new comic, Pink Lemonade. Go to comicbookcouplescounseling.com to find that. Lisa's also on a panel at San Diego Comic Con. Yes, we should have plugged that. We, we are... could do it right now. Okay, let's do we it. We can do it right now, Lisa, in the Stinger Plugs. We're doing the Stinger <laughs> Plugs at San Diego Comic Con on Thursday in room A, a 24 ABC. Lisa will partake in the comics journalism looking at panels beyond the page. Here's a brief synopsis of what to expect. How do you cover comics and multimedia? How do you build a community around comics writing? In this annual look at comics journalism, panelists talk about moving into podcasts, YouTube, TikTok, and beyond, and how the medium changes coverage. They'll also talk about comics, the big stories of the show, and anything else that you want them to. The mic is open. Join Heidi McDonald from The Beat, Jimmy Aquino from Comic News Insider, Lisa Gullickson from a little thing called ComicBookCouplesCounseling.com, Brett Schenker at Graphic Policy, Avery Kaplan from The Beat, and Chris Arant from Popverse, and others for all the tea. I hope the kids are still saying tea. The kids are still saying tea on them TikToks. I think so. I'm mostly just watching the dogs. Just watching the dogs. There, we did it. Oh. This is the end of the episode. Left ankle, psychic rapport open. We've already done that. Okay, fine.